Okay, so today's daf is daf Lamed Aleph, and we pick up on uh, two-thirds down on the daf, the beginning of the new parak. Misha Kinalish a man warned his wife not to go to seclusion, and she went into seclusion. This brings us back to the very uh, opening Mishnah of the Masechet. Um, so how many witnesses, what proof do you need that he went into seclusion to be able to continue the Sota process? So if you remember, Rabbi Eliezer in the opening Mishnah said even one witness, even the husband. And here the Gemara, the Mishnah states it even more radically, uh, even if like a passing bird claimed it, no matter what the type of a claim was, if there's somebody claiming that she went into seclusion, that is enough basis to make her drink the Sota water. Seems extremely unfair for her. That is the position of Rabbi Eliezer. So Yotzivitink Suva means he now is obligated to make her drink the Sota water, or you know she is now forbidden to him as a Sota, and if they don't want to go through the process of the Sota water, he must divorce her um, and give the Ksuva um, if if he doesn't want to make her go through the process. So it's a little bit of funny. It should have said that he should make her drink. Why does it say he should give her the ksuva? Why doesn't it say if she, ref- if she refuses, then she goes out without a ksuva? Um, but anyway, this is the way Rati's understanding it, that it means that she's obligated to drink uh, the water or she's forbidden to him. And therefore, either she drinks the water. If she refuses, she gets divorced without a ksuva. If he doesn't want to go through the, boris, the, the process, he divorces her and gives the ksuva. Now, Rabbi Yoshua Omer, he says, Rabbi Yoshua says, no, it's not a problem until the women who uh, sort of knit by the moonlight, until, until they start like gabbing about her and gossiping about her. Now, what does that mean? Rabbi Yoshua normally says that uh, you need two witnesses that she went into seclusion to make her drink. So actually what it's saying here is not a halakha about that she is considered forbidden to her husband. If there's no witnesses, she went in seclusion, but you have these rumors about her. Once there are rumors about her, based on the pasuk of Tehorahi, that she's pure, well, here her reputation has already been sullied, so the waters won't work. Okay, so the waters won't work, that's not an option anyway. There have not been witnesses that she was in seclusion. Um, So really, what are the options? Well... In this case, where there are no witnesses, he really could stay married to her. There's just this uh, bad reputation about her, but she's not forbidden as a Sota. But if he doesn't want to stay married to her because of this reputation, then he would divorce her and he would pay the Ksuva. So it's actually quite a bizarre read. You know, in Rebbe, Rebbe Eliezer's case, the Yotzivitin Ksuva means she is Tamei and she can be forced to drink the Sota water. And in the Rebbe Yoshua, she's not Tamei and it's just saying if he wants to divorce her at this stage, he should pay the Ksuva. It's a really hard read, but this is the way Rashi reads the Mishnah. Now, now we get to the believability of the one witness after seclusion. So uh, there are two witnesses, let's say, that she secluded, according to Rabbi Yoshua, and you might remember that the halacha is that the Torah would believe, once you have the basis that she was warned and she was in seclusion, that if one witness would come and testify and say that he saw her commit adultery within the seclusion, that would have believed, not, God forbid, to put her to death, but to basically say she can't drink the soda water, she's been a proven adulteress, and she gets divorced without the ksuva. So now we are going to look at the uh, parameters about this um, eight about this uh, eight echad when he is believed. So let's take a look. If one witness said, I saw her that she became Tamei, that she committed adultery in the seclusion, um, she would not drink. Now, 
this idea that once there were two witnesses of seclusion, one witness is then builds on that to say that is believed to says that she became, committed adultery and she would no longer be able to drink. So that one witness does not have to be a kosher witness. Even a slave, even even a, a male or female slave would be believed to invalidate her from the ksuva, meaning what are the consequences? If she's a proven adulteress, well, you're not, again, there's not two witnesses, you're not going to execute her, but it means she can't drink the soda water, she has to get divorced and she, get, and she does not get her ksuva. Now, chamoso bas chamoso v'tzarasa v'yevimta bas bala. These are five women who are considered to be jealous of the wife. Who are they? The mother-in-law, the sister-in-law, the mother-in-law's daughter, um, the co-wife, if the husband is married to two wives, the, uh, the, uh, yiv- yiv- the, the, the husband's dead brother's wife, which the husband will have to do yibuman, so she's also not thrilled that there's another wife in the picture, um, and her husband's, uh, her husband's daughter, stepdaughter. All these people are, we, can, we might want to, under normal circumstances, think that they have uh, some grudge against her. So what's the story? Are they believed to, to say that she committed adultery? So, yes, they are believed. Now, because here we are concerned about, you know, they are, um, about, about that they might have some, some grudge or some, something motivating it, they, you know, we are concerned a little about their believability. In this case, they don't make her live, lose her ksuva. It's enough she's a proven an adulteress that she can't, won't go through with the soda drinking water. You know, that, there there seem to be now enough basis that we're not going to risk that whole process. Um, but uh, now the husband has to divorce her, and she takes her ksuva. So in this case, okay, she doesn't have an option of staying married, but she's actually going to get her ksuva. Okay, now the mission continues. Shayibdin. Now, how do we know that this idea that an aid echad is believed um, to build on the idea of seclusion? Because this was something that you could have learned out logically, meaning a kavachomer. I could have made a kavachomer that it wouldn't work. The first testimony that she went in seclusion, seclusion is not locking her, sealing her fate. Because even after seclusion, there's the test of the soto waters. And nevertheless, even though it's not sealing her fate, the, um, the Torah was demanded that there be two witnesses. So if that's true about the first, about the first wit- testimony around the, um, around, around the seclusion, so so the second testimony that actually does make her forbidden for forever, because once there's witnesses that she, uh, one witness that she committed adultery, she could know, uh, you know, that was it. There was no way to reverse that status. No drinking of the soto water after that. So in that case, before we seal her fate, shouldn't we certainly require to? So logically, if I had not had a Pasuk, I would have said that this, uh, that this one witness would not be believed to seal her fate. So it says that there is no witness against her and she was not, um, you know, and she was not raped. Um, and meaning that if there is a witness against her, um, there's a problem. So the Gemara says, so there, the way the Gemara is going to interpret this is, the, the way the mission sounds like it's saying is aid even means one witness. Even one witness, even something very flimsy, you know, because that's, we don't have one witness against her, you have to go through, the, you can go through the process. But if there was even one witness against her, you wouldn't have the process and her, then it would be determined that she has to get divorced. The Gemara is going to read it a little slightly differently. There are not two witnesses against her, there's only one, etc. We'll see that in the Gemara. Okay. Now, the, the mission continues. Okay, so now you've proven from this Pasuk 8 ain't that as soon as there's one witness against her that she committed adultery, her fate is sealed. Uh, she gets divorced without a ksuva. 
Now let's use the Kavachomer to go back and say that therefore the, 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 the testimony of the seclusion, one should suffice. If you can seal her fate with one, then shouldn't the testimony of the seclusion, which has, still has the Sota testing, be able to be done with one? The second testimony of adultery that seals her fate is only one witness. The testimony of seclusion that doesn't seal her fate, there's still the Sota war after it. Isn't it logical that, that, if the, that, that one witness should be enough? So, you know, that's even a weaker status. So, no, because it says in the case by a get, interestingly, not in the case by a sota, that the husband found a matter of, you know, nakedness, of sexual uh, transgression regarding her. And when it says the word davar, we know that that normally means by two witnesses. So, that is teaching you that, um, that when it comes to... Um, uh, so the same way, you know, so, so we see that the, uh, that normal testimony needs two, and the testimony of Matzaba Ervastavar, some matter of nakedness, requires two. Now that's a little funny, because that sounds like the actual act itself. The Mishnah seems to be reading this, that that's saying there's some problem, right? The husband is divorcing his wife because of some suspicion. There's nothing in that puzzle about a get that says she definitely committed it. So it's reading that in the context of he suspects her and there were two witnesses for the seclusion. The Gemara will play with this and read it in a slightly different way. So we have the idea that, you know, and again, this is the Gemara said this earlier, that there is a logic here. You need the two witnesses of seclusion to create the uh, reason for a suspicion and building on that reason of suspicion, the one witness is believed, right? So the reverse, right, of one witness for seclusion would not be enough of a basis to make her drink the soda water, would certainly not be enough to then build on it. Once you have two and it's enough of a suspicion for the soda water, it's also enough of a suspicion that the one witness that says she committed adultery is believed enough to prevent her from drinking the soda water and she collects her ksuva. Okay, she does not collect Ksuva. It is just, it is assumed that she did commit adultery. Okay. Um, now, now what happens if you have competing testimonies? One witness says she committed adultery, one says she did not. Now, Rashi points out that when the one witness says she did not, it does not mean I was looking into that room that she was in seclusion and I saw that they didn't do anything wrong. Um, because, um, um, as we'll see as the mission continues, um, you know, then that would, well, we'll, we'll see why, but in a minute. But Rashi says what it means is, he says, no, I know you didn't see that because, you, like, you were with me or I was with you there and I saw that you weren't seeing, you know, that, that you weren't really looking in the room. Okay, so they're contradicting one another. So let's say it's not a person who's normally a witness, but it's a woman who's normally would not count as a witness, and they're competing against each other. So she would drink. They would neutralize one another, um, and she would drink. Now, because it's so, meaning so that it's like there was no testimony at all, we do have the testimony that she went in seclusion, so that's the basis of making her drink. So this is why Rashi says that the witness had said um, Lonit Mace is not actually saying that I saw her not commit adultery, because if that's true, um, and in a minute we're going to even have a case where two witnesses say that, so we would not be talking about having her not drink. It just Lonit Mace means that, um, that I am saying, you know, what you're saying is not correct, but not that I have active knowledge that she did not commit adultery. Okay, so this Mishnah makes it sound that whether you say she did or she didn't, they have equal weight. We'll see in the Gemara a very different approach. Okay, now, 
One said she became Tamei and two said she did not. So again, they sort of neutralize one another. You go back to where you are and you have the testimony of seclusion so you can make her drink. Because the one who said she became Tamei is neutral. If even one witness can neutralize him, then two can certainly neutralize him. And here um, is, is really why Rashi has to say Lonitmes means that they're not actively saying she didn't do it. Because if two witnesses are actively saying she didn't, she obviously would not drink. But they're neutralizing the one witness. Okay, now... Um, so what to say that she did commit adultery and one says that she did not. Um, she would not drink. Now that seems quite obvious. Um, and also if two witnesses said, why aren't we executing her? So we'll see in the Gemara, maybe they were not kosher witnesses. But anyway, the end of the Mishnah seems pretty obvious because it's basically the exact same malach as if it was one and one as if it was two and one. Um, but we will take a look at, uh, uh, well, no, in, uh, in, in the case of two and one, in the last case, where the two are saying, um, where the two, I'm saying the case where one said she became Tame and two said she did not become Tame, that's the same as one and one. In the case of the last case here, where you know she would drink, it would neutralize. In the last came here where it says um, that um, two said uh, that she did become and one said she did not, that uh, you wouldn't let her drink. Um, okay, that's that's different than two and one because there they don't neutralize. You go by the concern that she did be, that she did become tame, um, but it should seem relatively obvious. So the Gemara will try to figure out what the point is of this last part of the Mishnah, the two and one parts of the Mishnah. Let's take a look at the Gemara. So the Gemara jumps to the part of the Mishnah where it says, how do we know that the seclusion needs to? If we're saying that the uh, testimony of actual adultery is w- one witness is su- sufficient, how do we know that the seclusion needs to? And it quotes this verse of, by a get that he found in her a matter of nakedness. So the Gemara says, why are we learning it from that Pasuk? There's a much more simple way of learning it out. The puzzle that says that one witness is believed, aiding Ba, um, is when it's talking about the actual act of adultery. So it says Ba, in regarding her, this is when we say A, that one witness is enough, that's when we're talking about the actual act of adultery. For other things, this one witness isn't enough. For Kinoi and Stira, it's a different discussion. So that's the that's the drasha that the Gemara likes, not the drasha in the Mishnah. So the Gemara says, um, Yes, let's, that is what the Mishnah is saying. It tries to read the Mishnah according to the way it understands it. Yes, how do we know that you need two earlier? Because what, the basis of one has the word ba, and that's limiting. So the earlier stage is you would actually need two, or at least one of those earlier stages. Now, how do you know, once we've told you that one witness is believed that he committed adultery when it's building on the seclusion, maybe I would have a basis to say that one witness would always be believed even when it's not building on the seclusion. One witness has he committed adultery, the husband would divorce her without a ksuva. How do I know the general principle that when it's not in this particular structure of the seclusion and then the witness, that you actually need two witnesses and not one? So how do we know that? 
No, because here it says, you know, davar, and that means two witnesses. So that shows you that when it's talking about normally about adultery, you need two. And that makes sense that the Pasuk Matzar Bastavar is not about the seclusion. It's about a basis, you know, that he really thinks she committed adultery. So that's telling you the basis halacha, that normal testimony about that needs two. But when it's building on the testimony of seclusion, it one suffices. Okay. Now, now we are going to deal with the interesting part of the Mishnah, uh, you know, going beyond the drashot, um, and about the one, one against one, where the Mishnah makes it sound like they neutralize one another. All right? And the Gemara is, we'll see, not going to really adopt that position. So the Gemara says like this, Time of the Kamachishle. So the reason that, you know, it's neutralized is because it's one against one. So first, let's let's figure out you know about about the basic principle. It could have jumped to the beginning of the Mishnah, but it's building up to the one against one. Um, how do we know that one witness is believed? We saw that in the Mishnah, but the Gemara is now going to spell it out. Um, okay, Minani uh, Mili, where do you know this from? There are no two witnesses against her. There are no witness against her. Now again, it sounds like the Mishnah is saying there's no one witness against her. You can go through the Sota process. One witness, you can't. You believe the one witness. The Gemara does not read it that way. The Gemara says there's no witness against her. The word witness means two witnesses. Uh, maybe aid means a single witness. One witness cannot rise up against a person. Why did you have to say one single witness? Just say aid. Aid is in the singular. It's not a deem. So I would have known that aid means a single one. Okay? Um, so why did it have to say single? This is like a principle. This is like a, you know, a, a, a model to learn from. That that the normal word aid means two, and it needs the qualifier of echad to say it means only one witness. So this is a general principle in the Gemara, in many, many cases when it deals with edus, that the word aid by itself means two witnesses. Okay, but if it means two witnesses, how are they going to read the Pasuk? Well, the Mishnah, we understand how read the Pasuk. How is the Gemara going to read the Pasuk? Okay, the Amar so here's how it's going to read it. Um, so there's no two witnesses against her. There's only one. So as opposed to saying, you know, Aiden Buff, there's no witnesses against her, then she's going to go through the process. It says, no, there's no two witnesses against her. There's only one witness against her. And she wasn't raped. So then, not stated in the book, then she'd be forbidden and you would stop the process. Okay, then she would be, you would consider like he had committed it and you would stop the process. Um, how exactly it reads that in the Pasuk, not so clear, but that's how it's reading it. Okay. Um, okay, now the word says like this. Now we're getting to the point we were about the Mishnah, the new part, not the Drasha, that the one against one neutralizes. Since, according to the Torah, one witness is believed, so that witness that says she committed adultery, that witness is like a super-charged witness. Because he's coming with the suspicion and with the established, you know, the raglayim ledavar, the, you know, the, the, the foundation of the fact that she was warned and she went into private and to seclusion. And the Torah says we're going to give particular strength to that person's testimony. So how does one person who's contradicting, that's just a normal one witness. So the Gemara says that shouldn't have any weight. Okay. Um, uh, okay. Uh, the first one was given special, special sort of believability. 
by the Torah. How does the other one who says he didn't commit adultery, where does he get the power to contradict? Wherever the Torah believes in Eidachad, which is here in a few other cases, gave it special believability. That counts effectively as two witnesses. And somebody that's normally an Eid Echad, you know, it doesn't have this special believability. That has no weight against this Eid Echad that the Torah is treating um, like uh, like two witnesses. Okay, so how here can the, can it say that it's one against one? It goes against Ula's statement, and Ula's statement is a very logical one based on the special believability of this one witness. Uh, okay. Ella Amar Ula, um, Ella Amar Ula, so rather Ula said, so they had quoted Ula before, and now they're quoting Ula as, uh, they're quoting Ula as, as a way that he, how he read the Mishnah, Tani Lohaisa Shota. He actually had a different girsa of the Mishnah. Well, he had a different girsa, he changed the girsa. But all the whole mission that said one against one, man against man, woman against woman, whatever, it all neutralizes, and you go back to the beginning, and she would drink. Ula said not that way, that the whole mission was saying the exact opposite. That if you have one witness saying that she became Tamei, then even if you have an equal one contradicting, the contradiction is nothing. And it, you would believe the one that she became Tamei, you would assume she committed adultery, and you would not go through with the process. Okay? So the mission sounds like they neutralize and you're back to where you started. And Ula says, no, they don't neutralize. The contradicting witness is worthless, and she's considered to be Tamei. Okay, Lohai Sashosa. Um, he also followed this approach and read the Mishnah differently. So now the Gemara says, Rabbi Chia Amar Haisa But Rabbi Chia kept the Mishnah the way it was. No, she would drink. The one against one wouldn't, um, would, you know, she'd be able to drink. You could go forward. The one against one would neutralize. So now the Gemara says, Rabbi Chia Kasha du Ula. How about Rabbi Chia? Isn't that, isn't Ula's statement the difficult? Now maybe you could say Rabbi Chia didn't agree with Ula, but what, the way Rafi explains it, so Rashi says it's not just that Ula said it. It's the sort of power, uh, the, the, the logical power of Ula's statement. If the Torah is giving believability to this witness, especially because it's building on the testimony of seclusion, then, how, then what logic does this statement mean that the other witness can neutralize? So Gemara says, um, uh, It depends whether the witnesses are coming at the same time or one after the other. Now, Rashi says the same time is an extreme definition of the same time. They came like Tochkidei Dibor, they testified. Whether you need exactly that is not clear. But the logic of this distinction is clear, which is that if they're coming at the same time, you know, you didn't yet give weight to the first witness. Two people showed up. And they said, we have what to say. And one person says, I saw her become dumb. And the other says, no, you didn't. So in that case, like, you know, we have, we just have a contradiction and we haven't given weight yet to the testimony of the one who said she became Tamei because we know there's another person here that has a different claim to say. I think even whether, you know, it doesn't have to be Bivasachas. Rashi says Bivasachas. But if the first one witness came and said she became Tamei and we gave it a weight and we recognized that testimony and then the court, you know, sort of saw, okay, she's established as being Tamei, then the testimony of what comes afterwards, you know, does not, does not have weight. So that's the distinction. Now, you could have said, you know, maybe even if they came at the same time, the first one has the seclusion to back it up. But you do understand that when something is coming and it's being challenged from the get-go, it does not exactly carry the same weight. So that's the distinction, okay? So when the Mishnah says they neutralize, it's when they came at the same time. 
Okay. Um, okay. It's not. Now let's look at the final case of the Mishnah, the one against two. Eid Omer Nitmeis, Veshaim Omin Lo Nitmeis, Haisa Shota. One says she became Tamei and two said not, then that would neutralize and you would continue with the process. Okay? So, Hachad Vechad Lo Shota. So the Gemara says, now that's funny. It says if two says she didn't, they would neutralize and you'd go forward with the process. Now, the Mishnah just said one against one would neutralize. This says, no, two neutralizes the one. Makes it sound that one wouldn't neutralize one. Well, that works the way Ula reread the Mishnah. Ula read one against one, you would stop the process. So then this line of the Mishnah says, ah, but one against two, that would neutralize and you would continue. But according to Rebchia, according to Rebchia, that doesn't make sense. What do you mean if two came, they would neutralize? Even if one would come, he would neutralize, assuming that, again, that we are talking, that it all came at the same time. Um, so you might be thinking that Rebchia could explain that the mission that says one against two is when this two came later, but, okay, Rashi discusses that. But assuming it's all talking at the same time, why did you have to say one against two neutralizes if one against one neutralizes? So the Gemara says, would say to you, No, 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 no. Don't overread that the two against one suggests that one against one would be different. Look, I'll prove it to you. Just look at the last case of the Mishnah. Um, two say she became Tamei, and one said that she did not. So then that would stop the process. You would assume that she became Tamei. Okay? Um, so would you say that if it was one and one, she would drink? Um, right? According to you, one and one, she wouldn't drink. Even one and one would stop the process. So in the end of the Mishnah, when it's saying, you know, one and two stops the process, when two says she became Tamei, why did you need that? You could have said one and one stops the process and she, you, you assume that she's Tamei. So the end of the Mishnah is not coming to suggest that two and one, this is the way it would be, but one and one would be different. In at least one of those cases, it wouldn't matter two and one or one and one, whether you go over Bichia or Ula. So that's not, that, don't overread that end of the Mishnah. Okay, so then why is the Mishnah talking about two and one? So the Gemara says like this, um, uh, It's actually coming to tell you a different halacha. Okay, whether you say, you know, one and one neutralize, you know, or they don't neutralize. What if we're not dealing with kosher witnesses? What if we're dealing with puzzle witnesses? With like the case of a woman, you know, who normally doesn't, isn't, isn't a kosher witness. Does she have the same weight? Um, and how does it factor in when there are multiple, you know, you know, there are like multiple people saying different things? So let's take a look. Reb Nechemia here. It's going like Reb Nechemia. Titania, we turn to Brisa. Reb Nechemia Omer. Komokum Shemina Torah Eid Echad Halach Achar Rov Deot. Whenever the Torah believes one witness, because we're operating not in the normal, in the normal, you know, formal rules. The normal formal rules is you need two, and they have to be kosher witnesses. As soon as you're saying one. You've broken all the rules. Like, there's no greater way to a kosher witness or a pastor witness. You've broken all the rules. And if you've broken all the rules, then you can also go by, like, a majority vote, okay? Normally, you know, two witnesses are equivalent to 100 witnesses when you're dealing with the formal rules of testimony. But here, it doesn't have to be two. It can be one. It doesn't have to be a kosher witness. And therefore, you go by the greater number who is making the claim on one side or the other. Halachacha rov deot. Okay, and even, and two women, you know, against one man would be as good as two men against one man. 
So, you know, you might be inclined to say, well, one man is a kosher witness, two women aren't. He says, no, 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 no. This is playing by different rules. Throw your normal rules of testimony out the door, and two against one wins, even if the two are women and the one is a man. So that's, by the way, a very powerful chiddush. And now we understand the end of the Mishnah. The end of the Mishnah is saying two against one win in both directions, but it's telling you, even if the one was a man and the two were the women, you're going to go by the two women. They're going to win. One against one, man and woman, again, men and women are all the same. So that would be whatever normal one against one is. That's the debate of Rabbi Chi and Ula. But, the, but, but that's not the point of the end of the mission. The point of the mission is telling you that two women will beat out one man. Okay? So now the Gemara says like this. Um, so some don't want to take that position of Rem Nechemia that far and want to say that if we're talking about sequential, right, because now that we said two beat out one, about, according to Reb Nechemia, if two beat out one, that doesn't have to be at the same time. Right, it could be one and one, you know, that neutralizes, just like Ula said, and, uh, excuse me, one and one, maybe we go like Ula, and we always follow the one who says Tameh, okay? Um, but that is, but that is one and one. If it's one and two, we would always go by the two, even if they came later. So, remember, both, you know, Ula and Rabbi Chia debate if they're coming at the same time, do you do they get neutralized or not? But they all agree that if somebody came later, if the first person said Tameh and then another person came later, you would not give weight to that later testimony. That they all agree on. There's weight to the first one, and the first one has been accepted. This statement of Rabbi Nehemiah, that you go by the majority, and it doesn't matter kosher or apostle, that could e- sounds like it's even if that they came later. So let's just appreciate that. Until now, everybody has agreed. If the one that says, did not become Tamei came later, you ignore it, comes from Nechemi and says, no, it depends. If they're more in number, you would believe those who came later. Even if they were witness, women testifying against men, a man, you believe those who came later if they're more in number. So that's big chiddish number one. And that's what the end of the mission is telling you. Now, the Gemara says, you know what, maybe that's going a little too far. Maybe if the first guy was a man, a kosher witness, then that would get it, and he came first, that would lock it in, and even if you had 100 you know, women, that would not neutralize this. This A kosher witness has greater weight, even in Sota laws. Even though it breaks the rules, one is enough, and we accept not kosher witnesses, a kosher witness has special, has special weight. So if the kosher came first, that's locked in. No, no testimony afterwards could do anything about it. Okay? V'hacha b'mayaskina k'ngonda asi isha me'ikara. Okay, but here, our case, where, you know, where, where, we are, where, where the two neutralized the one, that the two who said she did not become Tamei neutralized the one who said Tamei. So now if we're saying that it's one after the other, how could two neutralize one? If the one was the man he was locked in, how could the two that came later neutralize? Oh, so because the one was a woman, if the one was a woman, then that could be neutralized later by two women. So what have we said now? Let's summarize, okay? According to Ula, everybody agrees that the one witness who says Tameh has greater weight. Um, Ula seems to say that even if at the, at the same time we just listen to the one who says Tameh, Rabbi Chia says, no, no, no. If they came at the same time, it's all in question. But if the one who says Tameh comes first, that's when you would not listen to the one who came later. 
comes along with Nehemiah and he says, there are t- no, actually, you will listen to people who come later, even against the guy who said Tamei, if they're more in number. And here there are two versions. One is you'll always listen to them, even women against men. And the other is you'll, own, you'll listen to them if they're more in number, if it's like, you know, women against a woman or, or men against a woman, but, but women against a woman. But um, when a man's testimony is first, then that follows more normal rules of edus, and that's like two normal kosher edim, and nothing can overrule that. Okay, so when it's a kosher edim, it becomes like two kosher edim, and nothing can overrule. When it's a woman, it becomes like weighty evidence, but not edus, and if there's a more people that come later, it would override. Okay, and here's how to read Reb Nechemiah. When the Torah believes one witness, then we go by the majority of the numbers. Um, which is two women against one woman, the two would win out. The same way two men against one man, the one would win out. And as we were saying, even if they came later, they would win out. But that's when it's all on the even playing field. But two women against one man, the man said Tamei, and that was accepted. That because it's, uh, he's a kosher aide, that's like real kosher edus. And then the two women that come against, they're, you know, it's like, it's, it's like equal, but it's not like equal because the first testimony was accepted and they, you know, coming later are not able to neutralize it. Um, okay. So why did the Mishnah have to give both of those examples, you know, two coming later and saying Tamei or two coming later and saying not Tamei? So, I might have thought that you go only by the majority when they come later to be lenient, but not to be strict. So it teaches you, you will always go by the majority number who come later, again, assuming women and women and men and men, according to this second read. What is strict and what is lenient, whether it's strict to make her drink or it's strict or, you know, you know to, to, to allow her to drink or it's, you know, it's strict to not allow her to drink. So, you know, you can that, sort of argue that both ways. Rashi says that it's lenient that you say that you, it's interesting, that you believe the witness and it's lenient that now she's not able to drink. You know, you might think, no, it's lenient that you give her the option to drink. Okay, but anyway, that's the point. So fascinating about the weight of this one witness. Once he's accepted, according to Ula, maybe even if they come together, but certainly once he's accepted, it doesn't get overridden after. This has special weight. Rebbe Nehemia says that if there are, that because it's a, it's an exception, you normally don't believe one witness and you normally encode your witnesses, you would actually would override it if there were a greater number afterwards. And then there's a question, is that even true if the first person to testify was a man? Because then that might be treated like real edus and which then could not be um, overridden afterwards. Okay, we will end here.